Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. It has been a while. And I was going to give you an explanation of why it's been a while and apologize for that. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I also uh, had some things I needed to say because it's member drive week this week and I want you to go and and sign up to become a member of Strong Towns. Uh, I'm not going to do more than that either. Um, I was going to, and my plan was last week, to do a podcast about the infrastructure bill, the infrastructure bill that just passed. I have quite a few thoughts on that. Um, I haven't had a chance to write them up. I haven't had a chance to do a podcast about them. I've been traveling. I've been on this book tour since early September. I'm not going to do that either beyond just saying I'm out on the road talking to people all over the country. Uh, local leaders, activists, enthusiasts, Strong Town supporters. The crowds are really big. They're really excited about Strong Towns. They're really excited about making their cities work. I get lots and lots of questions, both before and after and also during these events. Nobody brings up the infrastructure bill. Like, nobody does. I realize that, like, the policy geeks really love this stuff. I realize that, you know, if you're a partisan person, like... Yay, the president got a win, as they call it, in the horse race game. And, uh, you know, there's a certain political gain and political price to pay and what have you for all the, the, the jockeying about this. And, I, you know, I've got friends that are really deep into the, the policy stuff. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they're celebrating or they're cheering or they're shaking their head or whatever, depending on how they look at it. Um, I'm here to tell you, nobody cares. I, I don't sense that anybody outside of a, a tiny collection of Beltway people and, you know, others really, really care about this. And maybe I'm just plugged into like a select crowd, but I don't think so. I think if people were really enthused about this or really excited about this or or, or really believe that this was going to make a difference, uh, I would be getting a different vibe. I'm not. I'm getting a vibe like, who cares? This is all a joke. And Here's the thing. I totally agree. I'm not going to talk about that, though. Maybe we'll do that later. Maybe we'll come back to it. Um, I need to talk about uh, Springfield, Massachusetts today. Uh, I am sitting in the uh, the world-famous Hampton Inn in Franklin, Massachusetts. I'm doing an event tomorrow here in Franklin tomorrow morning. And uh, then I'm going on to New Haven, and then I'm actually uh, heading to New Jersey and flying to Tucson, and I got a whole bunch of stuff in the Southwest. But I'm, I'm starting this week here in New England. Uh, we're going to do an event tomorrow. I'm going to be driving very near Springfield. I don't think I'm going to go. I might have a little bit of time, and I might head over, but probably not. Those of you who have read Confessions of a Recovering Engineer uh, or you know been around here for a while— know that Springfield, Massachusetts has an important place in kind of the history of strong towns. Back in 2014, I had been invited by Stephen Schultes. Uh, Steve uh, runs the blog Rational Urbanism. He is one of the very early people plugged into strong towns. Uh, Him and I have become friends from those very early days of me writing And in December of 2014, we finally made it happen where I was able to go and do a lecture and and an event in Springfield. That day, 
we went out and we, we just looked at downtown Springfield. We, we walked around. And one of the things that I wanted to see and one of the things that Steve wanted to show me, uh, and we met some other people there, was the crossing at the Springfield Library, uh, Central Library on State Street. This is a spot where a beautiful, gorgeous library with a really powerful classical architecture, just a gorgeous, gorgeous building used to front uh, a gorgeous church. I mean, just a, a beautiful, beautiful, uh, I don't know what the denomination was. I want to say Episcopalian for some reason, but I don't think that's it. I have never seen the church. It was gone when I got there, but I saw the old photos. And like a lot of these churches in the Northeast that were just these grand, beautiful, gorgeous structures, uh, it was torn down and made into a parking lot. And it's a little like... It just ripping your gut out, right? You know, I mean, just taking your innards and just stepping on them. You destroy some beautiful, gorgeous building. That I don't care. It didn't need to be a church anymore. Like, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm not arguing that it's the decline of Christianity. Uh, it's just this idea that we built these things. It had stained glass windows. It had arches. It had brick. It was just beautiful. And they tore it down for a parking lot. Is a parking lot for the library. And it was right across the street from, uh, from the church. I'm sorry, from the library. And so people would walk out of the library. They would walk through what, what I was told was a crosswalk mid-block. Again, I've never seen the crosswalk mid-block. But they would walk this crosswalk mid-block and then go to this parking lot where the church used to be. And that's how they would get to and from the library. Let's just say, Library also in a historic walkable neighborhood that's been denuded, right? You can, everybody listening to this can picture the scene, right? So before I went there in 2014, the city had come through and done a quote unquote improvement project. We always use the word improvement, even when it's not improving things, it's just the engineering nomenclature. They did an improvement project that dealt with issues of congestion and level of service and traffic volume. They took out this mid-block crosswalk. They uh, widened out some of the lanes. They narrowed up the boulevard a little bit. They put in, uh, it's two lanes in each direction of really fast-moving traffic. I think the speed limit is 35 along here. Traffic tends to flow a little bit higher than this, despite it being right in the core of downtown Springfield. They used uh, basically federal gas tax dollars uh, funneled through the state for projects like this. They used that money to widen out State Street. And when they did that, they got rid of this crosswalk. And they also did this subtle little thing to, in a sense, discourage people from taking the shortest route from the front of the building to the parking lot. They took the steps that were directly across the street. So... Imagine you walk out of the library down these steps and then directly in front of you across these four lanes of, of fast moving strode in the middle of town is uh, a series of steps facing you. Those were obliterated. They were taken out. Some shrubs were planted there. And on the sides of this parking lot, there were angled steps. Uh, so when you walked out, the steps wouldn't like be inviting you to go directly across. In addition to this, they also put a few shrubs and a little like decorative fence on the side of the street, side of State Street, 
that had the library. When I was there in 2014, uh, we just watched people just walk across mid-block. These are longer blocks. They're longer blocks than you know what you would design if you wanted to make a place really walkable. Um, and you know the idea here from an engineering standpoint is that people uh, would come out, walk down, uh, it's like 250, 280 feet, something like that, wait for the uh, the big button to let you cross, then cross and then walk back and then go into the parking lot and get your car. Very few people do that. I mean, we sat and watched and just in like 15, 20 minutes, you know, there was a, a, a number of people, more than a handful who did this in this very short period of time. And Steve's daughter, uh, Shayla, had gone out and done this video uh, right, right after this project was done, kind of showing all the people who are crossing in this space. This is really dangerous, like really, really dangerous. You have a bunch of different things going on at one time. You have uh, people who are trying to judge four lanes of traffic going in two different directions. And you can see when you watch people, um, traffic can kind of back up a little bit sometimes through here because of the timing of the lights. You would see people kind of, it's a long distance across all at once. You can see them kind of meander out and then kind of wait in the middle a little bit and then get a gap and then go across. Uh, people driving have a difficult time crossing four lanes of traffic like that. Uh, people on foot, it's, uh, it's even harder. It was obvious to me standing there, like, this is really, really dangerous. This is a really bad situation. And everybody there, too, said the same thing. And, and the word was that they had asked the city to address this. Someone's going to get killed here. Someone's going to get hurt here. Let's, let's be proactive and, and address this. And the city had refused to do it. That night, um, Destiny Gonzalez, a seven-year-old girl, was struck and killed crossing this street. She was with her mom and her young cousin. They had been at the library in the evening and were just walking to their car. Uh, it was a December night, so it was, I remember it was a sleeting a little bit, so it was kind of windy and nasty, you know, not the kind of stuff you'd like to, you know, walk almost 300 feet down to a light, sit and wait, walk across, you know, uh, they didn't do that. They did what most people do in this situation, what it is observable that lots and lots and lots of people are doing here. They took the shortest route between two points, a straight line, and this little girl was killed. My book, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, uh, starts with this uh, scenario, this, this exact incident, and uses State Street in Springfield as like the the foil, I guess we could say, or as the case study, the example for the way that engineering has messed up our cities, wasting lots of money, devaluing neighborhoods and creating huge amounts of uh, death and suffering and trauma to people. I start with State Street. And, you know, you, you, you look at this situation and it is kind of stunning just how uh, ridiculous this this is. I, I'm going to use the word ridiculous. I, I want to use other words. I, yeah, we're going to get to what has recently happened on State Street in a minute. But I, I, 
I used some profanities uh, on Facebook, and my wife asked me to change that. She goes, "Don't, don't do that." I kind of feel like doing that here now, but we are not. We are a rated G podcast, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you, you look at this situation, and it, it is a, obviously dangerous, you know, it's, it's a dangerous crossing. We can see many, many, many people, anytime we go out there, who are not using it the way that the engineer supposedly would have intended for them to use it. I, I, I think that intention is wrong, and I think it's naive, and I think it's, you know, the wrong design for the neighborhood. Nonetheless, let's pretend that it was done in earnest with all the best intentions. You can clearly see that this is not working. And not only is it not working because... You know, you can go out and watch all day long people doing something that you have uh, assumed in your design that they're not going to do. They are doing. But then you have this, you know, seven-year-old girl that is tragically killed. Um, This has gone for a long time. I mean, this happened in 2014. It's 2022. It's been, you know, almost, it'll be eight years next month from when this happened. And... In that intervening eight years, there have been a number of things that have been brought up to try to nudge this in a different direction. Uh, There's a a local bike walk group that keeps advocating for fixes to this. There have been a number of studies. Some council members who ran on a platform, uh, which included safer streets and fixing this crossing, uh, went to the director of public works and the mayor and said, we want to see something done here. Basically was given a well, you know, what do you want? And they went out and in, in an approach that just offends me to my core, they went out and did their own research and came up with their own approach, which is to put this like flashing crossing in, in the center. And that's not what offends me. I, I'm, I'm offended that there's a problem that was brought to the professional's attention. And the answer was, I can't do anything about it. You figure it out. They went out and figured it out. And then the response was, and I wrote a whole column about this, and I included uh, this dialogue in Confessions of a Recovery Engineer. The response from the director of public works was, here's all the reasons you're stupid and what you're proposing is wrong. Let's rephrase that whole thing. There's an obvious problem. Some elected officials come into office with a desire to fix this problem, listening to their constituents. They ask, how can we fix this? And the answer that they get from their professional staff is there's no fix. So they go out and they come up with a fix, right? I don't think it's their responsibility to do this. They come out and they do that. And then they're told, this is, this is inoperable. This will not work. Here's all the reasons why. Never is an alternative given. Never is a fix given. Never is a different approach brought forward by the technical people whose job it is to fix these things. Never is that done. I wrote an open letter to the city of Springfield. I can't remember how many years ago it was, two or three years ago. After one of these episodes where basically the political apparatus of the city was trying to make changes And the bureaucratic apparatus was not just, you know, dismissing them or ignoring them or being intransigent, but actually, I think, like openly ridiculing them, treating them with such a a level of disrespect. 
it was unprofessional. I, I, I was upset and frustrated by the whole thing. I wrote an open letter to the city and the, the essence of my letter was this. I will, Chuck Marone, a licensed civil engineer, I will redesign this street for you pro bono. I will help you redesign. You, you don't have to have your council members go out and figure out what to do. You don't have to play this cat and mouse game back and forth of like, oh no, I don't know what to do. Oh, you want to do that? Oh no, that's bad. You can't do that. What should we do? Well, I don't know. We're not going to play that. I will come in and I will pro bono redesign this street for you so that it is safe, so that no one else is killed here. Or as an alternative, if the city does not want to do that, if the public works department is not interested in that, if the mayor is not interested in that, if nobody there at City Hall wants to work with me to get this redesigned, then I will represent pro bono the next family where someone is killed out here. The next family that has someone struck and killed on the street, I will represent them in court, in a lawsuit against you, the city of Springfield, I will represent them pro bono. I, I will be, in a sense, their expert witness against you, having documented all of this stuff that you have failed to do. Last week, a library employee named Gail Ball left work at six o'clock, walked across State Street to the parking lot uh, in the exact same place that Destiny Gonzalez was killed. And she was struck and killed. I don't know all the details. Uh, I do know that. Uh, people are drawing parallels immediately with Destiny Gonzalez. And, and from what has been reported in the local paper, it seems like that is uh, the case. These are very similar incidents. Destiny's happened a little bit later in the evening. Um, but they both would have happened, you know, in, in the evening hours, in the dark, um, high traffic, you know, speeds coming through. Um, the young man who hit her uh, has been charged with some type of vehicular homicide. I don't know the exact details. There was a lot of outrage and, and a lot of desire to, in a sense, deflect blame to this person who... I don't know. Maybe they were doing something reckless. I have no idea. I can tell you that whatever reckless they were doing, the danger of that would have magnified many, many, many times by the design here. There will be a search for a scapegoat. This, this 25 or however old kid might be it. But he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. This is an example of... What, in a legal standpoint, and I'm not a lawyer, um, but I've, I'm involved in enough of these cases and I've been involved in enough of them uh, to speak as someone adjacent to the legal profession on this. This is what is kind of classic gross negligence. Gross negligence is defined legally as a conscious indifference to the safety of others. And... What you have here in Springfield, Massachusetts, is a conscious indifference to the safety of people who are walking. I use Springfield in my book, Confessions of a Recover Engineer, because it is an egregious example 
but it is like one step beyond what most cities in this country are doing as well. Ignoring uh, the, 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 ignoring the difficulty, ignoring the, um, the danger, ignoring the damage, ignoring the, uh, ignoring and, and, you know, explaining away the carnage that is happening on our streets. A lot of the discussion in the engineering profession and a lot of the discussion here in State Street has been around liability. Who is liable here? And there's one theory of liability that is always put forth in cases like this. And that is a theory that suggests that cities, particularly city engineers, engineering departments, public works departments, what have you, that are following accepted practices are not immune from liability, but have very diminished liability. In some states, in my state, they have statutory immunity in a sense. You have to prove some level of negligence. If you're just following the rules in a sense as they're set up, you have a certain level of immunity. And that's always been interesting to me because if you go into the manual and uniform traffic control devices, or you go to the Ashto Green Book, or you go to whatever of these design manuals are being used, every single one of them leads, like has in the very opening sections, language that says, the, this book, this set of codes, this set of standards is meant to be guidelines. It does not replace engineering judgment, engineers, uh, who are doing these designs should use their judgment uh, to determine what actually should be done in this location. I, I, this idea that we cannot, you know, vary from the book despite seeing obvious, obvious safety problems in front of us, to me is problematic. Now, there have been a handful of cases around the country where uh, cities have lost, engineers have lost, uh, and there have been large, large payouts to victims of, uh, you know, bad design, negligent design. I can think of one in California where there was a really bad, again, a four-lane strode parking area on one side, beach on the other. People would, you know, park and then cross and, and someone got hit. And that was, there was a very large uh, award given. And the argument was, uh, every, you know, the people designing this knew that this fast traffic, uh, these fast speed of vehicles did not mesh with people on foot. And here's the thing. I totally agree with that. That is, that is absolutely true. When you are going to have people who are walking, people who are biking, people who are in wheelchairs, people who are um, outside of a vehicle, um, there is no way that you can build systems uh, for high-speed travel where humans are going to be mere feet away from them. It, it, it can't be done. It's particularly true on State Street. Now, I, I'm, I'm beyond the phase here of, of, uh, of being sad when I first heard about this. You know, you, you, the stages of grief, I, I'm, I'm obviously not going to go through what the family's going through in, in, in any even tiny fractional amount. I say at the end of Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, 
you know, there's thousands of people every year who are killed in similar circumstances. I, I wish I had the empathy for all of them, but that would be all that I would be like, you know, crippled with empathy because of, you know, how often this occurs. You have to approach it with a little bit of distance. That being said, here's a woman who got married last year, was this week, uh, you know, got married during COVID and was not able to, in a sense, have people over to celebrate. Uh, this week was, at least it was reported in the local press, was having people over to renew her vows uh, and do that, you know, with a group of people and, and have a celebration. This group is going to be obviously getting together now for a, a very different and very sad purpose. I'm beyond the sad, and and I think I'm beyond the mad now, although I did spend the bulk of the weekend angry about all this. Angry because another life, another life has been taken for, for no, I won't say for no reason, for, you know, literally due to intransigence at this point, uh, the willful neglect of people who know and recognize that this is a problem, but for whatever reason, and I'm not going to pretend to understand the reason I have some theories. None of them are very nice. None of them are very nice personally. And I, I don't want to dwell on them because I don't know the reason, but for whatever reason, a lack of willingness to take action, despite the obvious danger here, this is the very definition of gross negligence. This is the very definition of it. I have been involved with a handful of lawsuits. I get called and asked to be an expert witness on cases all the time. And I turn almost all of them down. Uh, it's just not, it's not what we do at Strong Towns. Um, I've done some of these on my own time. So, you know, an evening and weekend kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it's not what we do at Strong Towns. I don't want to get bogged down in it. Like I said, we literally could do these like nonstop forever. But I have chosen a handful of them that I think are cases that if they break through uh, and there is an award, will be important. Um, I don't know what this family is going to do. I haven't talked to them. I did have someone from the family reach out to me I sent them the article that I wrote about, you know, working pro bono as an expert witness. It's too early for them. I mean, I, I, it's too early for them to even be thinking about that. And I was embarrassed to do it. I said, you know, in due time, when it's the right time, uh, I'm here and I'm, I'm happy to help. Now's not the, the right time. But at some point, the liability equation needs to change. The idea that engineers, departments of public works, cities are immune from liability or protected from liability because they follow some standard. Because, you know, we followed like accepted orthodoxy of the practice that that somehow makes us immune. That needs to go away. Because that's not actually what the law says. And that's not actually, um, you know, what any of the code books say or the manuals say, if you have a situation in your community that is obviously dangerous, 
where you you can see. I mean, in Springfield, they've had three people hit, two people killed in the last two months on the street. When you have repeated collisions, repeated deaths, repeated traumas, when you have documented over and over again requests from the public to address this obvious situation, when you and I can stand there and look at it and say, my gosh, this is horribly dangerous. And it's not like it's, 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 it's layman's knowledge, right? It's very clear. The fact that you take no action is gross negligence. And you should be held liable for that. I am going to work to fix this situation. And I am going to work to make sure that this aspect of the engineering practice changes. That engineers become more sensitive. And let me, let me say it this way because... I'm, this is grotesque to me, right? I have seen so many of my colleagues, licensed engineers, licensed professionals. I've seen so many of them recognize clearly the danger of a situation, but then refuse to do anything about it because of perceived liability from deviating from the standard or the code book or what the manual says. I have seen so many people, so many of my professional colleagues take that course of action, which really is, and I was just going to swear, is spineless, right? It, it, it is immoral and it is wrong. If you find yourself more sensitive to the liability that you and your community will have from varying from a standard as opposed to the loss of life and the trauma that you know people are going to suffer, you have your values messed up. Now, I can't fix the values of engineers. I can't. And it, it, it baffles me and it makes me, uh, you know, sad, frustrated, the, the whole gamut of negative emotions that many of my colleagues express this type of thing. I had one imprinter tell me, don't encourage people to walk here because they're just going to get killed. And it was like a, a, a place where people were walking, lots and lots of them were walking to get from a poor neighborhood of poor people to the only grocery store in the neighborhood. And the, the reply was, don't do anything that would make it easier for people to walk. More people will just walk and more people will get killed. I was like, F you, brother. I can't change their values. I can't change their morals. I can't change the way the, the, the self-justification and the way internally in the profession that they uh, soothe themselves and convince themselves that this kind of thing doesn't matter. I can't do anything about it. Here's what I can do. There's two things. One, I can help all of you recognize that you don't need them. That's really what Confessions of Recovering Engineer does. It, it, it is designed to shift power from uh, the, the technical professionals, the public works departments, uh, the, the, the hierarchical siloed systems that we've created. It's designed to shift power back to elected officials and back to community members and back to people living in a neighborhood. 
because there's a lot of things right now that we've ceded power on to these systems that we're not required to see power on. So I am trying to give you your agency back and I will continue to do that. And Strong Towns will continue to do that. But the other thing that, that, that I can do is I can help change this sensitivity question around liability. I want cities, I want their insurance agents, I want, you know, the bureaucracies who are worried about liability. I want them to see huge judgments against cities for gross negligence. I want them to experience that. I want them to become an omnipresent part of their dialogue. I want them to go to their conference and hear about some city had their budget gutted and their insurance rates go up and have to lay off half their engineering department because they screwed up and they allowed people to die and they did nothing about it. I don't want that to be everywhere. I'm not, I'm not saying I want to be on a crusade for the next two decades, but I want some high profile court cases. I want some high profile decisions and I want them so that this liability question changes and the sensitivity that engineers express for liability manifests not as hiding behind codes and standards, but obsessing over the actual safety of people on a street. What has gone on in Springfield is a horrible tragedy. Just it's, it's horrible. It never should have happened in the first place. Destiny Gonzalez should be alive today. She should be a 15-year-old kid today in middle school. And it just breaks my heart that she's not. She should be. She was killed by the gross negligence of a profession, a profession that is putting their standards, their approaches, the volume of traffic, the speed that traffic moves, they're putting that over all other considerations, including public health and safety. Gail Ball should be alive today. I mean, for crying out loud, how many more people have to get hit? How many more people have to die? What is it going to take? At Strong Towns, uh, we can't fix this all by ourselves. We're working with a lot of other groups to do this. I've got some ideas uh, that I've been kind of percolating with here since uh, this latest tragedy. Uh, some things we can do to kind of step up the pressure to raise the volume a little bit. I feel like, I mean, I wrote a whole 90,000 word book on this. I don't know how much more volume we can get, but I've got some ideas and, and we're going to try it. In the meantime, uh, I will, I, I think at this point I'm going to be able to stay on track with the podcast. We've got a, you know, this is my last week of book tour and I'm going to be back in the office next week. Uh, from here on out, uh, I think we're going to have a little bit more balanced schedule. The book tour will continue in 2022, but not with this degree of intensity. So it should be back to something that, that we can manage and handle. And so I hope, uh, we can, you know, commit to doing these podcasts, uh, more and more and more. Um, in the meantime, this is our member drive week. Uh, we, we, uh, 
we are building a movement around this country of people who want change and people who are supporting change and people who are standing up saying, we need to do things differently to build strong towns. I'm telling you, I've been out on the road for almost a decade now. I started out giving talks to rooms with, you know, one and two people. <laughs> I, 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 it was a very, very lonely. Uh, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, we're having large crowds. They're enthusiastic. They're ready to make change. They're coming to our events uh, with, with, with a history of having done things. Um, they're connected to the movement. They're making changes. They're learning from each other. This is such an exciting time to be part of this movement and part of this conversation. So if you have the means, if you have the wherewithal, strongtowns.org, click on the membership button, sign up to become a member this week. And even if you don't, stay plugged in. Uh, please share this with somebody else. Tell somebody else about Destiny Gonzalez. Tell somebody else about Gail Ball. Don't let this happen in your city. Uh, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep working on it. And uh, we're going to win. Because the way we do things today is is not just immoral. It's, it's not just, you know, killing people needlessly. It... it it actually violates what, what all of us recognize as just basic human decency. Let's cling to that and let's make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen again. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. I'll be back soon.